Hey, everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick. Coming up in this episode, we're going to look at the history of pandemics and not that you should be doing this, but we'll count down the top five things we'd hoard if we were going to hoard something, but you shouldn't be hoarding things. A smallpox outbreak could cause between 20 and 30% mortality. The influenza pandemic of 1918-19, estimates vary. You know, anything between 17 and 100 million deaths worldwide. Whilst it might have been a rumour, for example, that the water was being poisoned in order to kill poor people so that they, their bodies could be used, while, which is what happened in, cholera, in these cholera riots... That is an understand. That is almost an understandable response when you think about the body snatching episodes. It's a different disease to COVID nineteen, although it is a respiratory. Uh, it is a respiratory air- airborne droplet infection. But the, the those parallels are pretty striking. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. I think that any time something big is just rippling through society like the coronavirus is right now. It's really important to look back at history and see if something like this has happened and what lessons we can potentially learn from that that might help all of us get through what's going on right now. Our first guest can help us do that. He's a pandemic historian who studies the history of public health. This is Dr. Graham Mooney. Speaking about what's going on right now with the coronavirus, what is your reaction to that? Well, it's been very interesting watching, um, as a historian, watching what's been going on from the moment you know, we heard about it in late December, early January, um, particularly because it's an airborne virus and, you know, these kinds of viruses tend to spread pretty quickly. So looking at the different kinds of reactions over time um, has been absolutely fascinating. One of the things that has, has interested me is the ways in which some of the policies that are being put in place you know, raise time immemorial kinds of questions for public health. You know, questions around quarantine and social distancing and what would be in turn lockdown. These all raise really important questions about you know, the, the individual behaviours versus uh, you know the community good and the good of the rest of society. So, A lot of the things that we keep hearing necessarily from different places are, this is unprecedented. Nothing like this has ever happened. Is that true or do we have a short memory? Uh, we've got a very short memory. This is, well, maybe not living memory, but our historical memory is all, everything's there that we need to sort of know not to say that kind of thing. There have been some huge epidemics in the past in relation to, you know, their toll on more, more, more mortality and morbidity and also epidemics that maybe not have been, you know, so bad in terms of how many people they killed but also you know just the just the panic and the fear that they they created amongst amongst populations and societies and i can you know i could talk about bubonic plague um i could talk sorry bubonic plague which is known as historically known might your listeners might know it as the black death i could talk about cholera um smallpox um and also the influenza obviously the influenza pandemic of 1918-19 so you know if you were unprotected the the a smallpox 
outbreak could cause between 20 and 30% mortality. Um, the influenza pandemic of 1918-19 estimates vary, um, but you know, anything between 17 and 100 million deaths worldwide. And you know, going back to um, the Black Death and the Plague in the 14th century, you know, pretty reliable estimates suggest that somewhere between 20 and 30% of Europe's population was wiped out. To say that this is unprecedented, isn't the case. Let's kind of look at those really quickly, I guess, one by one. Starting with the yep. Black Death, you know, the bubonic plague. That yep. that was roughly from when to when, what did it do? Right, okay. Well, there have been three major pandemics. First one, like the 800s, it's called you know, in the Justinian period. There was a pandemic in around about in around about the 14th century in Europe. And then there's, there was another pandemic um, towards the end of the 19th century and into the 20th century. And the key point to realize really about those, the, the differences between those three is that it wasn't until the third pandemic or at some point in the third pandemic that it was realized that the bubonic plague was, yeah, the vector was the, the, the fleas that lived on rats. Anything that, any kinds of policies that happened before that or interventions were, um, you know, they were, they were based on imperfect knowledge. And that's usually, the, honestly, that's usually the case for, you know, the vast swathe of history, certainly up until the end of the 19th century. People didn't really know what caused these diseases. So, I mean, the one that I know most about is the uh, the Black Death of the 14th century. And really, you know, historians point to that episode as the origins of public health, if you like, the, the points at which organised societies, uh, governments decided to institute interventions to try and halt the spread of a disease. So, you know, you had domestic quarantines, people being people being asked to stay in their homes if there was an outbreak of disease, um, people not being asked to move around, um, people, you know, doctors would, or, do, or, or local workers would go around and collect the bodies and, and bury them um, outside of the, the city. Gatherings were suspended. Um, things like that. So, so they're very familiar kinds of, um, interventions. Did they know what they were doing then or were they just trying anything? Call it the dominant theory was that somehow the disease was spread through bad, what they called bad air. It was called miasma. Um, uh, yeah, my, miasmas. And these were you know, air that had somehow contained a poison and that that poison could be transmitted, uh, between people. But the, the idea was, you know, the, the idea was that this poison was generated through, say, rotting organic matter or swampy condition. Well, it was a very, kind of in what we would think of as imprecise but th th this was the dominant theory so it kind of made sense in that respect to you know ask people to quarantine themselves in a household you know even though it didn't make a lot of sense once we realized that how the disease was how bubonic plague was actually spread which was through the flea vector and that plague that specific instance of the black plague that killed about how many people well we don't know an exact number but we know from you know, looking at records, say, at, say, of parish registers, which were records of people being buried. Um, and if we can sort of work out the population of those places, we, we think that somewhere between 20 or 30% of Europe's population was, uh, was wiped out. And so that, you know, it, to be perfectly honest, off the top of my head, I can't remember the, the, the total estimate numbers, but that's 
what we're talking about. What does that do to a society when they lose between 20 and 30 percent of us? That is another really good question. Um, basically, social mechanisms, uh, and this may be something that we, we'll get onto in a little bit, hopefully, is that you know a lot of social mechanisms break down. A lot of the responses to plague were also very much um, religious kind of responses. So, um, and this is not just the Christian religion, but also the you know, Muslim faith as well. They would call people to prayer. They would have processions to you know, drive out the epidemic and so on. So in some senses, there's a, a kind of reinforcement of the idea that this is God's visitation for sins, refocuses the traditional belief systems in that way um and you know it drives up you know people can't work the land um so it drives prices up uh, because of scarcity so there are whole economic economic impacts like that as well you know for just basics like bread um and other foodstuffs it becomes really difficult so that was in the 1400s when is kind of the next the next big pandemic that comes through and any pandemic, I would say that the next set would really be um, would really be the, the cholera pandemics of the 19th century. So you ha- you've had seven of those between like the 1830s and like the early part of the 20th century. And cholera is different because it's waterborne um, or foodborne, so contaminated food or water is the mode of transmission. Um, and also it can be transmitted by people who are caring for patients who've got the disease, um, you know, touching those patients, um, having contact with their discharges, um, and then touching their face. Or Because it was different. Like, does it matter throughout history how the disease is caught or spread? Does that have a big impact? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, if, if you think about it, if you, if it's, say for example, you've got people who live in very crowded domestic conditions. And so as society industrialized and urbanized from, you know, the, the mid 18th century onwards, uh, let's say, you know, people began to live in much closer quarters. Um, they had, you know, you know, domestic space was pretty crowded in a lot of urban centers. And so that, increases the propensity for transmission of airborne infections. Um, something like cholera, you know, if it's water and foodborne, might be a little bit different. But again, you know, when you've got cities that are industrialising and growing rapidly over the course of the 19th century, you know, you've you got some cities in the 19th century that are growing between 5 and 10% every 10 years. It's, you know, every year, you know, it's really a real test for urban managements and governments to keep to keep um, keep track of that is the cholera one is that the one of the outbreaks that was like traced back to a water pump somewhere yeah i know what you're thinking of you're thinking of the john the, the, the story of john snow and the broad street pump in london yeah um and that was yeah um, well i think that was the that was yeah, so there are a bunch of uh, outbreaks, of cholera outbreaks that made their way to London in the course of the 19th century. You know, a lot of these, the, the, the cholera outbreaks had their origins in Asia. You know, this one was, um, you know, in the 18, the late 1840s when John Snow, who was, he was a physician. He was actually an anaesthetist. Um, he was the anaesthetist to Queen Victoria. Um, but he was also interested in, you know, epidemiology. One of the things that he did was he, you know, he, 
he he collected information and data about the outbreak of cholera, uh, particularly where people lived who contracted, who died from the disease, and realised that there was an epicentre uh, in one part of Soho that was probably associated where with where people were going to um, going to get their water from, and so he he advised the local parish vestry, which is basically the local council to remove the handle from the Broad Street, the pump on Broad Street in Soho and supposedly halted the epidemic. But that isn't, you know, that's the story that everybody knows. It's a lot more complex than that in terms of, you know, he mapped the disease, but there was also already a tradition of mapping diseases on spot maps to see where they occurred. He wasn't the only person who thought cholera might be waterborne. There were lots of other people who thought that as well. And um, the actual, you know, the, 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 the evidence is very complex. But what he was good at, John Snow, was good at synthesizing all this information. Is that common with a lot of these kind of pandemics and outbreaks? Can it be traced back to like one specific incidence or one specific place? There's a, there are a lot of attempts to try and do that, to try and find out why, you know, where something broke out and who who is responsible. Um, there's, there's also a lot of historical work saying, critiquing that approach that, you know, looking for a patient zero, as it were, or ground zero for an epidemic isn't, yeah, isn't a fruitful way of going about things because all you end up doing is stigmatizing the people or the places uh, where the disease is thought to have broken out. And we, we've had that recently with you know, COVID-19 being called the China virus or the Wuhan virus or the foreign virus. And none of that is helpful. Um, and we had it also during the HIV AIDS epidemic with you know the search for patient zero which also had very um you know the consequences of that of that kind of stigmatization of individuals really doesn't help and if it, if, if you if you end up locating the wrong places and the wrong people then actually that's problematic as well so yes these things you know, you know this kind of approach does seem to be important you know i mean it helps to know how a disease has moved from say you know has jumped species from from birds to humans and how that happened but it's you know once the disease is broken out it isn't necessarily the most important thing to know about it the most important thing to know about it is how to deal with it once it's in the human population jumping back into the kind of the history timeline so after cholera What's the next kind of big pandemic? Okay, can I just can I just back up and talk a little bit more yeah, about yeah. cholera? If yeah, that's yeah. okay. Yeah, okay. So, so one of the interesting things about cholera is, and I think this this does have a bearing on the present as well, is there were examples at different when the pandemics you know emerged in the 1830s, the 1840s, the 1850s, 1860s, and then the last one was around about 19 in the 19. 10s, 20s, there were popular uprisings and they were called cholera riots. So, for example, in Britain in the 1830s, you had you know, 70 places, it was recorded at least 70 places had a cholera riot. And what people were responding to there was, they, they, first of all, the, the, the elites and the politicians and those with authority, like physicians, were telling people that they had to go to hospital, for example. And, you know, they were actually 
in some cases being forcibly removed to hospital. Now, if you put that in a, in, 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 in comparison with other things that were going on at the time, such as physicians, um, snatching bodies so that they could be used for anatomical research or you know called some of your listeners may be familiar with Burke and Hare who you know who were accused of you know procuring bodies that had already been buried so that they could perform anatomical investigations on them those kinds of those kinds of events make public resistance to going into hospital for an infectious disease much more uh, much more understandable. So, whilst it might have been a rumour, for example, that the water was being poisoned in order to kill poor people so that they, their bodies could be used, while which is what happened in cholera in these cholera riots. That is an understand. That is almost an understandable response when you think about the body snatching episodes, because what they show is that it's no good trying to ask for people's trust, confidence in government in times of crisis if you're not building trust and confidence outside of times of crisis. That seems kind of like it could be especially prevalent at the current time, right? Absolutely. You know, so if, yeah, and we, we can talk about some of the social distancing measures during in the influenza pandemic. But, you know, if you're asking people to keep their kids away from school, if you're asking them, you know, to not go to work, um, and you're not providing, you know, paid sick leave, if you're not providing school meals for kids who normally get free school meals, you know, these, these social networks and social support mechanisms have to be put in place and they have to be sustainable so that you don't get social tension. The the, the things that people are being asked to do are far more likely to work if you give them the tools to do them. Before we kind of jump back to the present, I guess, after after cholera, what's the next big one that hits? I'd say say influenza, really, the 1918-19 influenza uh, pandemic. I mean, there were some... Yeah, smallpox was a bad, a, a bad disease, but that was actually endemic. Um, yeah, well, it was, it was sort of present all the time. And then you had the odd epidemics and smallpox also. Yeah, first of all, it was a, it's a viral disease and you may or may not have, people may or may not have seen images of people with smallpox because it was actually eradicated in the 1970s through a vaccination campaign that was run by the World Health Organization. But it was a very disfiguring disease. Yeah. And if you survived it, um, you know, you were marked for life, you were pockmarked for life, you know, so people were really scared of smallpox. So I think influenza in 1918-19 is probably uh, the next big one. How, and that was, that killed more people than World War II? How many people are we talking about there? We're, we're, well, estimates vary. And there are reasons why estimates vary, and we can talk about those if you want. But you know, anywhere between, like, the lowest I've ever seen is 17 million. The highest I've seen is 100. And I think most historians would settle on somewhere between, you know, 40 million and 100 million globally. I mean, that just seems unbelievably massive. Yes, it is. And it was. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, one of the interesting things from a, like a historical point of view is the sp- supposed forgetting of the 1918-19 influenza pandemic. Yeah, and 
it, it is intriguing because there wasn't a lot of historical work done on it until kind of the 1980s, 1990s. I mean, there was some, but not. A, a, it was a real sort of um, explosion of interest in the disease in the 80s and 90s. And, and, but what historians attributed that to is that you know, people didn't talk about the First World War a lot. You know, the, 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 the kind of experiences people had during the First World War were sort of, you know, put under the carpet because they were just so traumatic for people to recall. And it was thought that the influenza pandemic, because it occurred, coincided with the First World War, then people kind of didn't talk about it a lot. And it turns out that actually wasn't necessarily the case. Um, you know, there, there's lots of historical evidence that's available for us to look at those that, did, that outbreak in quite a lot of detail. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, it's it maybe the, the the scale of that pandemic in terms of deaths was sort of like less amazing or less striking because of the the the, the fatalities due to war as well. Did they have pretty big social distancing, or how did how did they kind of try to deal with that? Yeah, great. Yeah, well, that's kind of one of the the most interesting parallels with the present, I think, because you know we have fairly good uh, evidence of what was going on in the nineteen eighteen nineteen pandemic um, in the states, for example. States and cities were fairly free to do what they wanted to do, so there was a lot of local variation in response. But um, in response to that, but. Yeah, they, they, lots, lots of places closed schools down. Lots of places closed theatres and public gatherings. Lots of places, you know, um, enforced you know, home quarantine, self-isolation, uh, or isolation in an infectious disease hospital. And so what historians have done is look at some of those those um, interventions and compared cities where where they, those interventions were put in place and the timing of those interventions on the places that compared places where those interventions were put into place early and those where they were instituted later on. And what they found is that you know if you were closing schools, stopping theatres, theatre and other public events and encouraging self quarantine, the mortality and mortality rates in those places was lower than the mortality rates in places that allowed those, you know, allowed those things to carry on. So, yeah, yeah, again, it's a different disease to COVID nineteen, although it is a respiratory, uh, it is a respiratory air, airborne droplet infection. But the, the those parallels are pretty striking, I think. Looking kind of towards the present. Do we learn lessons? Like, have we learned anything from all of this? I guess that kind of answers that question right there, doesn't it? Well, well, uh, I think first, I think as a historian, first thing you, you need to say is that we're quite often pretty wary about saying what lessons have we learned from history because every situation is different. You know, we always we always emphasise context and contingency. You know, the, as I said at the end of that final comment, you know, there are some similarities between influenza and COVID-19, but they're not directly comparable. So we need to be wary of saying the lessons that we learn. But there are certain things we can say is, that, hey, look, this is what happened in history. What are, you know, what are the parallels? What are 
are the differences and you know what does this tell us about society um so so one of the things we always say as historians is what epidemics do and what studying things like epidemics and pandemics does is it exposes society's fractures and fissures and yeah how it is or isn't working so you know what one of the things this pandemic is doing for example is make making people compare how many intensive care unit beds each country has and saying look you know it's really it's going to be really difficult for some places to manage the kinds of um, you know the, the kinds of demands on intensive care that we've got because in normal times we haven't invested in these things so and so there's things like that there's also things like you know the xenophobia the racism that you get that you know is present and is pointed to enough in normal quote unquote normal times non-pandemic times but these things really come to the surface i'm going to use probably the wrong kind of phrasing asking this question but i think you'll kind of you'll get what i'm trying to ask do countries countries that are maybe a little bit more authoritarian where people are used to following you know the the rules so to speak more like Singapore or those places mm-hmm. that seem to have handled it very well. Do they generally handle it better to countries, say, like America, where it's kind of like, well, screw you. I'm not doing what you tell me. You know, is, is, is there, a, can you see that throughout history? Interestingly, you've hit on a, a big debate about in the history of public health is can we, can we make those sorts of comparisons between authoritarian autocratic states, um, and let's say more liberal democracies? And there, there's a few things to say about that, actually. Um, one is no, you can't, that, you know, you quite often these differences are never clearly, clear, that clear cut. Um, so for example, Britain in the 19th century, it, ref- it more or less refused not to enact quarantines. So, yeah, whenever there was an outbreak of cholera or, you know, say cholera, for example, um, yeah, they wouldn't have put quarantines in place as, you know, I mean, maritime quarantines, unlike some other countries. But what they did do is they instituted, you know, systems of disease surveillance at a local level. So they had registration of diseases where diseases had to be reported. They had a network of isolation hospitals that people could be forcibly removed to. They had legislation in place that meant you couldn't refuse to go into hospital if your local health department said that you had to. So although these, you know, Britain would present itself as a quote-unquote liberal democracy, they were actually doing things that we wouldn't consider to be free in that sense. And they were coercive and, you know, they were, they, they made people do things that perhaps they wouldn't want to ordinarily do. So there's that. And then the other thing I would say is that quite often, although, although some countries might, um, institute things that, you know, policies that seem quite draconian to us, such as a, the lockdown of a whole city. It might also be that these places have a higher, if you like, um, a, a different notion of social cohesion that we have. One of the things that I guess I'll use myself as an example, I struggle a little bit with is the idea between, yes, we obviously need to do all of the social distancing stuff, but also life kind of does go on. Right. Like, yeah. how do you, you know, the idea like, OK, but can you can you really shut down everything like everybody stay in your house for this thing? But then if you do it for this, why don't you also do it for this? Right. You know, the example that I always hear is like, OK, so this could kill this many people, 
but car wrecks kill this many people, so why don't we lock down for that? What would be kind of, from a historical perspective, what do you kind of think about that? Well, all these policies were always... Yeah, they always disadvantage uh, poor people, people of colour, and the most vulnerable. So, for example, in terms of asking people, well, demanding people go to hospital if they had an infectious disease, and historically that might be cholera, it might be smallpox, it might be scarlet fever, diphtheria, you know, some diseases that are no longer, you know, no longer as um, threatening as maybe they once were. The sort of thing there when you were being asked to do that, you know, you were asking people to do it if they didn't have the ability to, say, isolate themselves in the home. And those people who had the least of it, least ability to do that tended to be poor people. Because as we were talking before about, you know, urbanization, industrialization, you had lots of people living together. So if you were wealthy, you know, and you had a bigger house and you could actually set aside a room to isolate somebody, you weren't taken to the hospital. You know, you, you could self-isolate. So, one of the things that kind of resonances with the present for, for that is saying to people, well, you know, you've got to stay at home. You can't go to work. That's not an easy thing to say when, you know, people don't get paid sick leave, um, you know, or there are no other safety nets for them. It's, there, there are always really important choices to make about those sorts of things. It goes back to is that are the social mechanisms in place to make sure that people can, um, you know, make those decisions without you know, causing their own family uh, stress and harm. And it's, yeah, that's why you need emergency regulations in order to say, yeah, we can set aside the funds to give people the financial wherewithal to say that, yeah, if I'm taking two weeks off because, you know, I've been exposed to coronavirus or I've been tested and I've got it, then, that yeah, they should be able to do that. We always ask one kind of tongue-in-cheek question at the end. If you had to yeah, get... If you had to get one of these diseases, which one would you get? Which one would you least like to get? Um, let me think. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I, well, I wouldn't be okay with cholera because, you know, it was horrible, but at least it was quick. Um, you know, you could be dead within 24 hours with cholera. So I think there's that. Um, uh, I think bubonic plague would be. Wouldn't be. I think smallpox. Actually, I'm going to go with smallpox because you had a pretty good chance of dying, and even if you survived, you you were disfigured. And I'm such a handsome guy that I wouldn't want to be disfigured um, for the rest of my life. So I think you know that would be the that would be the le- my least preferred my least preferred option. I think. Look, if you if you can't look good, what's the point of even going on? <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad this isn't on video as well as uh, just audio. I want to thank Dr. Mooney so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, learn more about the research that he's doing, we've linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have his information on the RSS feed that's on this podcast. Okay, now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. Hello. How many times have you wondered if you're going to die in the coronavirus? Not once. You've never thought about the possibility it might get you. I mean, I, I, no, I've thought about getting it. I've never thought about it killing me, though. Wow. Way to not prepare for the future of your family. <laughs> I mean, you're, you, you're going to have a second child here coming up, and you have not once 
thought about what's going to happen when the virus gets you? I mean, I've thought about what would happen if I get it. You asked me, like, it killing me. So basically what you're trying to tell me is that you're so big and tough that even if you get it, you're just going to wade right through it like a Billy Badass. I'm only going by what the medical experts say, and maybe they're wrong. I, I, I don't know. But my age group is not in the the category of, you know, possibly passing away from this virus. That is not true. You have a significant risk factor of being um, larger than most. That's that's not a risk factor. Yes, it oh, is. Boy. Obesity is a risk factor. Well, if, if we're going by obesity, then I think everybody in America, except for 2% of the population, would die off from this thing. <laughs> If you get it, if you get it, how are you going to get it? Like, what's going to be your undoing? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, from what I understand, and I'm, I'm not a medical expert, but it's just, it's a flu virus, right? It's an influenza. So, I mean, I would think as I'm throwing my guts up, like, hey, I'm losing weight at the same time. This thing is a, this is, this is a good thing. I believe it's technically a respiratory virus. I don't know if that means it's technically a flu virus. Look, we we don't we really shouldn't be talking about this kind of stuff. We don't know what we're talking about. One thing I know for sure is people, including myself, are pretty uneducated about what a respiratory virus does. Because where I live in the Detroit area, you cannot find a, a roll of toilet paper. And it doesn't affect how much you shit. No, that's the most amazing thing about it, isn't it? It's just like... It has nothing to do with that. <laughs> you nothing, but like that's the first thing. Like Kleenex, you can buy. You can find Kleenex all over the place, but you can't buy or find toilet paper. Shout out to Kleenex, baby! Way to keep the shelves <laughs> stocked. <laughs> that's the thing. You know, they have fantastic, you know, stocking capabilities, and, and trucks just delivering Kleenex every eight hours. Or people just automatically think of a respiratory virus and think they're just going to shit their brains out. What's amazing is that both John and I, John still does. I used to work in the news business, so we know some people. And I talked to somebody who basically does transportation and logistics, and he's like, there's no shortage. We have warehouses, huge warehouses full of this stuff. You just have to wait for the next delivery, delivery on Tuesday. You're not running out. You're just running out for like a day. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, I was in the store last week, once again, in, my, in the Detroit area, where like people were just waiting, to, like by the where they bring the stuff through, like the the uh, store doors, like the pallets to restock. Like people were just waiting by there to snag like toilet paper or like sugar is out too for some reason. Yeah, dude, you gotta but, have cookies, idiot. <laughs> well, like I said today. You think uh, I want to this week? What you, was that? You think I want to go through the coronavirus without some delicious baked goods? You can go fuck yourself. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you kind of touched on the obesity thing because I don't know how it is in the rest of the country, but in Michigan we, you know, cut bars and restaurants and and gyms. Like gyms are closed as well. So now you're making one of the fattest areas even fatter. <laughs> Way to go Michigan. This is your last – Detroit's been burning for the last 20 years. Way to finish it off. Um, but we'll, we're going to talk about things that you should hoard later on um, in the top five. What do you what, – what's your segment? Let's hear it. I want to be impressed. 
So uh, we got some good names here that we're going to shout out to. Uh, good week overall social media. I don't know if it's because people are just tired of the coronavirus, so they just check us out because we're the next best thing. I'm not really sure. but <laughs> The uh, next best thing to dying of a virus? <laughs> you can die not- of a virus or you can listen to our show. <laughs> if you had to ask, you know, 10 people that question, probably seven would say they'd rather die from a virus. Here's my here's my question. What kind of virus would you compare this show to? If you oh, were man. to describe this show as an illness, what kind of illness would it be? So right off the bat, I, I without even really thinking, which is what we do here, I would probably say a stomach bug. Because I feel like it starts off like it's, you know, it's a little wavy, you do a good job, and like it just builds up and builds up to, to when I come on. And then as soon as I open my mouth, you just want to take a massive shit. I would, yeah, I would agree with that. I think my, I would compare it to like a light headache where it's not, <laughs> it's never really so bad that you can't do stuff. Like you can kind of just get through it, but in the end, it's just like, oh, I've had enough of this. <laughs> like if we were individual viruses i feel like you would be herpes because you never go away you're always there <laughs> like kind of just annoying the shit out of somebody like you're not deadly it's just like oh hey i have another breakout like there's fucking nick again and then i'm like shingles because i'm just you know big and stupid and like i just sit there on your skin and like don't leave and, and just e- i'm just a big blob and irritate like a massive pimple that doesn't go away <laughs> Uh, actually, you know what? I'm a boil. I'm just a bunch of boils. <laughs> uh, okay, let's, let's let's move on. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, back to the shout-outs. Uh, big ups to Linda, uh, Jack Bill, Kinga, Monica, spelled M-O-N-A-C-A, uh, Scott, Metz, Adam. Uh, Isn't Keithy. that Monaco? No, I, no, because it's it's M O N A C A, so I think it's Monaca. I think it's Monaco. I was like, "Are you sure it's not a place?" <laughs> no, it's definitely a person. What's the person look like? It's a woman, uh, probably middle aged. Uh, I forget exactly now without pulling up her Facebook profile, but uh, check her out. She she uh, liked one of our Facebook uh, statuses and. Pretty sure it's Monica. I don't know. Anyways, okay. Uh, Jim Masaki, Mike Nicholas, uh, Chris, the UFO seekers. Shout out to all the alien experts out there. <laughs> Did you see the question that they asked us about why we're what coronavirus has to do with aliens? I'm not sure why UFO seekers keep sending us fucking messages. <laughs> like, dude, I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. We host a <laughs> shitty podcast. <laughs> My favorite one of the week is Groovy Granny. So, oh, that's a good. Appreciate one. you, Groovy Granny. <laughs> I love that Groovy Granny. Staying away from the coronavirus. Yeah, you. Um, you really are a simple man. <laughs> <laughs> I am. All right. So, speaking of the coronavirus, my first question is: Are you the kind? This isn't really even like a yes or no. This is. I'm just curious, and I just included it in the questions. Um. Are you the kind of asshole that if you were to go to a bar uh, right now and, you know, you had to order a beer, would you order a Corona uh, 
just to be an asshole. No, I wouldn't. I've I've never been one of those people that's going to do that. I, I don't mind being an asshole to my friends, but I don't want people to necessarily like the greater public notice that I'm being an asshole. It's more of like I'm more of a private asshole. Like I just want to be the kind of asshole that only bothers people in my immediate known vicinity. Not a big asshole, like a little asshole. Would you say you have a big asshole or a little asshole? I don't know if I've ever actually seen my own butthole. Have you? Have you seen your own butthole? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, uh, well, I mean, technically no, but I've seen it in the mirror a few times. Well, then you have seen it. How is that technically no? Well, like, I haven't, like, actually, you know, I can't see it. Like, I can't look this. Can, can a lot of people see their buttholes? I don't know. That's a good question. Did, what, how did you see it? Did you spread the cheeks and bend a little bit, or what were you doing? <laughs> it's irrelevant as to what Just I Just tell was. me what you were doing. Were you checking to see I, if something was wrong, or what were you doing? <laughs> probably. I mean, you know, I just you just look down there. You got to make sure sometimes, you know, when you're a bigger person, and you think you wiped all the way, sometimes you just got to, you know. Spread them to make sure that you ain't got no dust left down there. That's all. How did you do it? Did you spread them and then try to put your head down and like like an ostrich kind of head in the sand and then try to look between your legs? Or did you spread them and then try to turn over your back shoulder? I'm pretty sure it was the, uh, you know, just the old spread and look in the mirror. Not even try to like really put in a lot of effort. Well, you couldn't even see it if you just... That's not even how that would work. Like that's just poor execution. I don't think anybody could just spread their cheeks turn their head over their shoulder, look in the mirror, and see their butt crack. See their actual, like, butt hole. I don't think you could do that. I, you know, I, I don't really know, and I I'm, I'm don't really want to keep talking about this. Hold on, I'm looking right now. <laughs> All right, well, while you're looking, uh, oh, a yeah, you can or a slanket. Yeah, you can, you, you can do that. You can actually see it if you did it. Well... Everybody, Nick just uh, solved life's greatest question. So. I was sure you would have to bend a little bit in order to be able to see it, but you don't. You can. All right. Well, now I've looked at my butthole. Let's let's just move on. <laughs> oh, a snuggie or a slanket? Ooh, wait. Probably the snuggie. The sn- the slanket looks like a little bit too much work. Like if I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna just. I don't want to do more work to do it. I just want to put it on and then just have it on. In this slanket, you'd have to like walk around and shit. You're gonna get up and go get something, and you gotta take it off. Put it. It's too much work, Snuggy. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and then you either can star uh, in a horror movie where you're killed off within the first ten minutes, or you can be the star of a really shitty comedy movie that uh, doesn't gross any money. Which one are you going for? I wouldn't mind being killed off in a horror movie. How do you think you go? Like a like a quick like a. You know, like a, a stabbing or like a or like painful, like a drowning or something. Hundred percent chance I would be the person that'd be like, guys, there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to worry about here. And then the guys behind me or whoever the person is, and then they would kill me. Like probably like a throat slit or just a head chopped right off. I think that's how I would do it. You totally would be that guy. Like we we would we would be in a room, and you'd be like, come on, you fucking pussies. It's just one guy, and then like you go to walk out the door, and he's right there and just stabs you. There's no such thing as ghosts. <laughs> that, that's how I'm going. Hundred percent. That's how I'm gonna go. That's where I, I like to think I'd be a little more cautious, and like I would just, I'd be like that fat kid that like you know is like in the kitchen having a quick snack while everyone's running away, and then I you know get murdered. 
No, you would be like the last major character to die. But you would definitely like, okay, we got to kill off one of the characters. Mm, get rid of him. He's you, You're going in like, if it's an hour and 30 minute movie, you're going at like minute 86. Wow. I mean, that's... But, like, do I have a decent role throughout the movie, or am I just, like, a supporting character? Uh, not a lot of speaking. I'm going to give you, like, 10 to 20 sentences. That's probably it. Okay. And do I get to, like, have the like the hot sex scene, or, or no? No. You're the guy who, like, you would be the guy that's, like, pouting because he's not involved. Like, you're chasing after the girl in it, and you're in the friend thing, and you think, like, oh, I'm going to save her. And then she gets swooped up, and you, like... You're the guy there just shown crying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. All right. Let's let's move on. I'm, I'm about to cry having talked to you about this topic. Are we are we ready for our top five? Let's do it. Coronavirus related top five. All right. So top, this is top five things you would hoard. What's your number five? Uh, so once again, I, I like to put out the disclaimer because I think you're going to hate my list. So, uh, I have number five, uh, medications like painkillers, uh, aspirin, Sudafed, stuff like that. Band-aids? You're going to hoard band-aids? <laughs> medical Candy. supplies. I, I guess you could group it into like medical supplies. Yes. Okay. I'm reordering my list on the fly. I don't think that that's dumb. I actually think that that's too low on the list and that it needs to be higher up there, closer to the top two or three. I think okay. that's too low, but I think it's a good addition. Uh, my number five, I feel like you had to put it on there, even though I don't really think you need to hoard this because we still have plumbing, but water. I would put water on there. See, I didn't put water on there because I I just like kind of equated it to the pandemic now. But if it was like a zombie apocalypse, of course you would want bottled water. But the problem is going like the coronavirus pandemic and what I would hoard. The problem is, is that like you couldn't ever have enough of it to actually sustain you for the for for a significant period of time, right? Like you you know how much water you'd go through in order to really hoard it. Like you'd have to have a whole garage full of it. So I just don't. I think you have to put it on there to get you maybe through the short term, but long term you got to have another plan. Like it's not the greatest thing to hoard. What's your number four? <laughs> You gotta have a plan, Pete. What's your plan? No plan. <laughs> uh, I have snack bars slash energy bars. <laughs> what a fat kid! <laughs> what you need sustenance? Yeah, but why then? If you, I don't disagree with you, but why wouldn't you put something like rice? You know how long a twenty pound bag of rice would last you? I mean, I guess I. I, I mean, I agree with you. I don't. Know, I just figured that you know. Yours is like putting pop tarts. Like I can live without pop tarts. No, I'm like Cliff Bars and Pop Tarts, things like that. Yeah, Pop Tarts. <laughs> yeah, see, that's what I mean. That's why I was like, "What a fat kid thing!" Like, you're not gonna get that's rice. True. You're not gonna get like pastas or cereals. Like, oh, energy bars, Monster Energy drink. That's what I need. <laughs> true story. I've actually have never had an energy drink. No, I've never had one either. I refuse. Well, Red Bull vodka, but I don't feel like that counts. <laughs> I've had Red Bull and drinks before. That's about it. Mm, speaking of, my number four is alcohol and drugs. All right. See, well, I have alcohol on the on the list, it's a little higher up. But are you? What kind of drugs? Like, like pot or like aspirin and stuff? Uh, I'm gonna say I would actually say recreational and medicinal. Right? Like, I think that medicinal is gonna help you out with some stuff, 
and recreational, you could make a lot of money off of that. Like, if you're the only guy with a bunch of weed left, that's a good thing to have in the apocalypse. <laughs> or like, uh, who, who was that? The former mayor at uh, Tallahassee that was just found in a hotel room with crystal with crystal meth. Well, no, I, I don't want to be having hoarding that, you know. No, crystal, crystal, meth. crystal meth, not the preferred hoarding drug. Uh, what's your <laughs> What's your number three? So it's boring, but I feel like you have to do it, and it's toiletries like like toilet paper, toothpaste toothbrushes, floss, stuff like that, like hygiene stuff. Okay, see, I understand the, the dental care. I don't understand, honestly, I don't understand paper towels, toilet paper. I don't understand that at all. Because you can just get in the shower and just spray yourself down. And you can use a rag. Like, you don't really need that at all. You don't need paper towels. You don't really need toilet paper. True. I mean, I... I, I guess I would hope that I would, have, I would hoard enough uh, to have... You know, like a year, and then I'd have to, if things were still that bad, then I could use the old, you know, sprinkler up the butt maneuver. I'm going to cut that out and put it in the promo. <laughs> oh, my God. Of course. <laughs> the old, the old, would you go, okay, if you had to blast yourself down, would you go shower or would you just use a sprinkler? Like use the hose from outside. Which one are you going to do? you going to try to rinse it off or are you going to blast it out of there? I mean, I, I would rather blast it, but, uh, you know, I would think the more economical thing would be to just get in the shower and, you know, what, do it that way. Well, the problem is that I don't think the shower would necessarily, if you had a really bad one, the shower wouldn't necessarily have the power. So you have to use your hand in there at some point. If you have a sprinkler <laughs> or something that can kind of adjust the, the nozzle, you could blast it right out of there and not have, number one, have a good time. Number two, you could get it all clean. I just think of that. You ever seen Happy Gilmore? Yeah, dude. No, not Happy Gilmore. Billy Madison. Yeah, where dude. The principal's sitting over the sprinkler as it goes up his butt, and he has that weird look on his face. No, I don't remember that part of Happy Gilmore at all. But okay. No, wait, no, it was Billy Madison, not Happy Gilmore. What, either either way, I don't remember that part. I don't know what porn you were watching. That Veronica Vaughn. Well, I do remember Veronica. Okay, look, we're not fucking doing movie things here. All right. What all number right, are we on? What's your number three? Bullets. <laughs> For what gun? Are you just going to find a random revolver on the side of the road? First of all, first of all, you don't grow up in Kansas and not have a firearm in your household at basically purple pig, baby. purple pig baby at all times. And look, if you want to protect all that hoarded crap, there's only one thing that you're going to need. You need some bullets. I really almost... I, thought about putting that as my number one <laughs> all right um I, I i don't i don't have weapons or any like ammunition or anywhere anywhere near my even my top 15 but well, guess who's probably smart guess who's showing up at your house when the apocalypse comes <laughs> me and all my bullets <laughs> <laughs> i hope that never happens um what's your number two uh so my number two Where'd my list go? Uh, canned food. That's a good one. Yeah, that's because, a good one. Just because, you know, just because you can have canned food for years and years and years and all kinds of shit can be canned and you're going to need food. I'm not a fucking hunter, so I wouldn't be able to catch anything, so I'm going to have to rely on peas and carrots for the rest of my life. If you had to pick one canned food, what do you feel like is the best canned food? Ooh. Like out of anything, not just vegetables? Anything, yeah, anything. 
Alright, this is going to sound really bad. But I think outside of a couple of soups, chili is my favorite canned food. Re- wow. That's a fucking abomination to say that. You don't make <laughs> your own chili in the house. You're going to go out there and smoke meat for 12 hours a day, getting hard brisket, and then you're going to eat chili out of a can? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I, I've, I've made my own chili a couple of times, but nothing like a good Hormel uh, spicy with no beans, baby. Shout out, shout out to Hormel, Long John Silver's too, baby. <laughs> What's your number two? Medical supplies. Okay, I mean, yeah, you, yeah, but I mean, you had to have it on there. Okay, what's your number one? Uh, so it's it's two. It's alcohol because that can be used for various things. Mm-hmm. Start a fire, obviously, drink it. No, you can't you know? start a fire with most alcohol, by the way. But some you can. Yeah, one hundred and fifty proof or above. And then uh, I have uh, cars and like car parts slash gasoline. Wait, that's like 16 things, dude. I mean, it's really only two things. Cars and alcohol. Oh, cars. So you got to hoard cars? You have yeah, like 15? because you need to get places. Not Once again, really. I'm not going to be walking for miles. Mm, there's nothing to... See, I... the problem is, is that I don't think you really need to hoard that. Because if you're getting into a situation where things have gotten that bad... Every, there's a significant number of people that are dead. You can just take other cars that are around. Like You can just take this car until you get to this place, take that car until you get to this place, and there's not going to be enough people where getting gasoline is really going to be that much of a problem. I don't really think you have to hoard gasoline unless you're doing it for like a generator. Then, okay. Well, let's, let's be honest. I'm not the kind of person that's just going to be able to find a car and siphon gasoline on the first try. You've never siphoned gasoline? I actually think I have, but you, I mean, I, if you were to tell me right now to go siphon gasoline, I'd probably end up swallowing half of it before I realized what to do again. Are you going to really tell me that you've never put your mouth up to a thick hose and sucked it till something came out? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm not answering that. Uh, <laughs> what's your number one? You've never sucked something dry on <laughs> <laughs> what's what's your number one caffeine none of us are living very long without caffeine man i tell you man I, I if i don't have coffee like for two or three days i get like caffeine headaches oh i think i think people can't go more than a like i think if you miss a coffee window by an hour or two people are fucking you're in trouble i really think the society could collapse without caffeine i i I mean, I don't disagree with you to a certain degree. I I do think if it was a life or death situation, people would go to extraordinary lengths not to eat or drink caffeine or use it. But yeah, people rely on that for everything. Yeah, I would say in the short term, non immediate like stuff. Ooh, caffeine. If you're just talking about inconvenience hoarding, I would go caffeine number one. <laughs> I would actually, if you're talking about long term apocalypse hoarding, I would go bullets number one. I, I, I see their point. I just, like I said, I, I'd i probably rather have, like, a sword or something, you know, like a knife instead of a gun. <laughs> that makes no sense. You can get shot. I, I <laughs> They I mean, take not, your sword. 
then they got a sword and bullets. I guess I'm not like I'm not thinking that people are like gonna be confrontational. I suppose you know. Not if you got bullets. I know it's it's a stupid way of thinking. I'm not even a gun person, and I would be like, hmm, might need to get some bullets here. (laughs) Shoot that! Take my guns. Shoot that virus out of the sky. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's on your honorable mention? Uh, let's see here. I have, oh my God, this is such a fat kid thing to start off with. Uh, I have bread, but it would go bad after a while. So yeah. I don't understand why I have that on there. Um, I have pasta, I have water, uh, I have cigarette lighters and matches. Okay. Gummy bears. You have gummy bears on there. <laughs> <laughs> I have the keys to my neighborhood Taco Bell. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then I don't remember why I, I I just did this list like five hours ago and I don't know why but I put garbage bags on the list oh I think that actually something to kind of get rid of all the trash that would be yeah. pretty far up there like you you would kind of need something to get rid of all that I, I understand it that's like short term convenience hoarding not long term but I, I I can see where people would need that and then I put on there cows and goats for milk and cheese. You can get both from a cow, dude. You gotta yeah, have feta goat, cheese but specifically. Goat cheese is the best. I hate you. Okay, that's gonna go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. We're also on social media at Profoundly Pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're counting down all of our episodes because we're coming up on 100. And so we're counting them down because we're also going to be giving away free T-shirts right when we get to that 100th episode. So even if you don't want to listen, just follow us, subscribe, leave a comment, something like that, and you'll be entered to win a free T-shirt. And look, even if you hate the t-shirt, it's legitimately nice. Like, ooh, you'd get this shirt and be like, hmm, that's actually a pretty high-quality t-shirt. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.